0: The opinions expressed in the
1: following program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV community media. Family-owned Farrell's Pizza underwrites this episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters podcast, newly opened at 901 Gazan Parkway, Southwest Wyoming, and available at 616-483-0002. We hear things in the deep, dark night. We see things in the shadows, in the corners of our eyes. In mind and dim light, we sense things when they just aren't right. Our dealings are not with human flesh and bone, but rather with an essence that defies even the basic laws of nature, like space and time. These elusive selves challenge our logical minds forcing us to take faith in the unseen, the unsubstantiated. We cling to theory, statistical inevitability, and the imminent manifestation of mystery. Brought to you by WKTV, I'm one of your ghost hosts, Wayne Preston Curtis Thomas. Welcome to a very special episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Podcast. As always, we ask that you please... Keep an open mind about things that you might not easily believe as we explore the mysterious. We have a very mysterious guest with us tonight, but first, let's meet my co-host. Hello, everybody. I'm Brandon Jose. Our guest is a Michigan homegrown legend. I first interviewed her on my show, Cryptic Frequencies, blog talk radio, so you can check that out. It's still out there. Uh, maybe check across the Golden Veil. That was with the Mama Mary Bassett that I first interviewed. Amber Rose Hammond is an author of several books. She's a ghost hunter, paranormal investigator, researcher, and historian. She's one of the best orators I've ever met on the planet, male or female. (laughs) Please welcome Amber Rose Hammond. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Thanks, Wayne. You are way too nice. I don't deserve that.
1: <laughs> oh yes, you do. You have a great voice, and you're out lecturing now too, right?
2: Well, I've been lecturing since 2009. Okay. Um, I do a lot of. I'm a I'm a lifelong library worker, and so a lot of my lectures are primarily in library world. Um, but I, have with the release of my latest book, Mysterious Michigan, in 2022. I jumped on some of the conference circus, uh, circuits in Michigan, such as the Mid, uh, Mid-Michigan Paracon, the Michigan Paracon. Uh, what am I thinking? I'm blanking on some others. Um, UFO Con, like I was at a bunch of them, so uh, my name kind of floated around a little bit the past year or so, but it was cool.
1: Yeah, and then see, that's what I noticed. I noticed people who are active, and then I might not even have noticed that you did write a new book. Now this book, Mysterious Michigan came out in 2022. Yep. Before that, you had Wicked Grand Rapids, published in 2000 or 2014. And then you had Wicked Ottawa County, published in 2011. And then Ghosts and Legends of Michigan's West Coast in 2009. But no. you, you may have some other stuff, too. I know because I, I ran into your name on this book here. But you didn't write this book, but your name's on it. Michigan's West Coast, with with Diane.
2: Yeah, those are those are cute. My publisher decided to adapt a lot of the their local history books for children ages nine to twelve. So I really didn't I didn't have to do anything. I just signed off saying, "Yep, you're allowed to take my work and you know give it to the littles." And it's just kind of a cute little addition uh, that I can sell alongside my Ghosts and Legends of Michigan's West
1: Coast. Okay, it's kind of a Reader's Digest version of Ghosts and Legends of West Michigan. And then yeah. Brandon has this book also, mm-hmm. because we first, we ran into you at Schuller's Book. You were doing a <laughs> book signing there, and then you told, oh, you had some videos were really cool of uh, Felt Mansion, I believe.
2: Oh, yeah, I love the
1: Felt Mansion. Oh, yeah, with this door closing and yep. just spooking everybody out. I mean, you could tell that was the real thing. Yep, oh, yeah. So, I mean, did I list all the books?
2: That's it. That's all I have.
1: Okay, because I wasn't sure about the ones that the, the children's versions of the, if I had all those or not, but.
2: Nope, just that one. That's okay. One
1: that now, you do other things, too. Do you do a podcast?
2: Yes, it's called Ghostly Talk. Uh, It was one of the first podcasts really ever out there for the paranormal because it was before the word podcast was even created. Then when Ghostly Talk started in 2002, it was just internet radio. And you had to stream, like, it wasn't even streaming at first. It was just, you could download the file and play like a wave file of it. And eventually it became streaming. um, And then the show was live, but that's how I met my husband. Uh, we've been together for almost twenty years because of that show, and we initially kind of retired it back in two thousand and nine. And then, when we were sitting there not really doing the show, oh, that's when the whole podcast wave like took over. And then our buddy Troy Taylor, who uh, runs the Haunted America Conference, was having—I believe it was his twentieth an- uh, conference anniversary—and was like, "Hey." bring the old gang back, you know, for an anniversary thing. And so in 2016, we brought the show back and holy cow, we were just awash, a little speck in the ocean of podcasts because there, it's just, I don't know if you remember this, Wayne, because I don't know how long you've been involved in ghost hunting groups, but back in the day, forming your own ghost hunting group was like the thing to do. Uh, especially when ghost hunters came out on the sci-fi channel like everyone with this interest was forming their own ghost hunting group now i don't feel like that's the thing it's everyone starts their own podcast which frankly it's a little more easier to do that because you can do it from home <laughs> yeah <laughs> and reach more people right but we brought the show back and we just do it for fun um we make zero money off of it uh we throw some shows out there here and there um it's just nice to to keep it going after all these years
1: well you never charged for ghost hunting either did you Oh, no, no. No. Right. No. Yeah. I mean it's not a get rich quick scheme. No. I no, see, I, don't like- I see in the background ghostly talk, right? Paranormal talk show.
2: Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah,
1: that was, that was,
2: that's our original banner. I didn't even not even thinking that's right behind me. I'm actually sitting in our our ghostly talk studio here. So, yep, that's that's our our first banner going all the way back to 2002.
1: <laughs> but you're still doing the podcast then. <laughs>
2: You can still find it any 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 podcast app you use just search ghostly talk and you'll find us the archives going back to 2002 to 2009 are strictly just on our website at ghostlytalk.com and you can just download them and we still have people that have been lifelong listeners that listen to those downloads like on long trips when they're in the car it's so crazy to think people are listening to our voices from like 2006 or something
1: right it's weird Well, you had eclectic interest. You did a variety of things. Um, Did you have a favorite topic?
2: On on Ghostly Talk?
1: Yeah. Was it ghosts? Was that your favorite thing? I mean, you did a variety of stuff, right? Just not just ghosts. Oh, we talk
2: about everything. I mean, sometimes it's not even ghost related. Um, Like, it's hard to say what my favorite is. Um, I mean, I love talking about ghosts, but lately it's been talking about UFO. Right. activity and stuff, especially in around 2000 dates, but I think it was around 2009, eight, around there, I had my first UFO experience when I saw something in the sky um, over in the Grand Haven area. And I that just sort of set me on a different path. And I kind of got away from ghosts and started really diving into UFOs and the history and all the stuff that kind of comes with that territory. Because for the longest time, I just thought, oh, UFOs, you know, those those crazy, weird people. <laughs> Yeah, it just felt very different from the ghost hunting world, and uh, I so yeah, I think when we've we've had some really interesting discussions about the current state of the UFO uh, situation, especially since two thousand seventeen, when it appeared rather largely in bold font uh, in the New York Times that the government was still researching and studying uh, this strange phenomena.
1: Yeah, and then they admitted that they had covered up, they lied to us. And then Michigan's had a couple classic uh, UFO oh, yeah. sightings. And actually, you make a connection. I want to get to that a little a little later with Denton Road. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm a member of MUFON, Michigan's MUFON now. So, And then we have Bill Konkoleski, the director of Michigan MUFON. We've had him on the show several times. I know you rub elbows with a lot of those people that uh, we've had on the show. But... Let's talk about Mysterious Michigan, your new book. And right on the cover, you talk about the devil in Detroit. Now, when I first read that, I thought, being from Michigan, I thought of the Nain Rouge. But this is a different story than that. It's not that little red devil. It's the Metz devil. And uh, Metz said, man is not created, but is developed. God did not make man but man did make the gods he said he said that in Latin you had that in your book and he was a controversial guy he he, he uh, did this statue of the, the devil yeah. it, it was very controversial set it out in his yard
2: yeah this the fun thing about writing this book was I I had a lot of stories that didn't properly fit into one place and my publisher when I first started with the history press they really wanted, very localized areas. That's why I have like a book about Ottawa County, Grand Rapids, West Michigan. And so finally I realized, I saw that they were doing books about the entire state. And I was like, oh, oh, I can finally find a home for all these stories I have. And one of them was this one about Herman Menz, who was a little stone stonecutter uh, in German. He was German stonecutter and he lived in Detroit. And in 1905, he kind of lost it. And one day the people, woke up and there was this massive massive like you could see it they said like a mile away a few blocks over something i don't know if it was a mile but like a few blocks few streets over you could see this statue of this and it really they called it the devil but it really looked like a gargoyle that you'd see kind of like on a gothic church or something but herman men's was a tried and true atheist and he did not like the fact that a lot of the local religious celebrations and things were getting kind of tax-free stuff and didn't have to pull permits for certain things where he had to do those things and anyway the guy just wanted to kind of mess with people he put this statue out there and he did he was not prepared for the insanity that ensued for like two weeks uh with people lining up to see this statue which honestly if you look in the book it's just a picture it's like or it's a gargoyle it's nothing like even that scary but it's 1905, you yeah, know, people yeah. look at things
1: different. <laughs> yeah, you have a picture of it in the book, but that really caught my interest. And then, well, being from Michigan anyway, so Detroit, but you also talked about the legend of the Nain Rouge, which being from Michigan, we've heard that before, but you had your own descriptions. And one of the things you said when you were talking about how the, when Cadillac ran into the Nain Rouge, and you talked about the maniacal laugh is the way you described it. I wonder if you can give us a maniacal laugh so we'll know what that is.
2: Okay, what's my best maniacal laugh? <laughs>
1: right! <laughs> 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 Yikes! Is that, come on, is that it? Did that work? That's it? So maniacal. I love that description, though. So it's supposed to be extremely wild or, or violent. So I don't know exactly how you left. Kind of like a witch, I guess, does that you know from cackle. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> the cackle from Imagine, Wizard of Oz. Like
2: a little tiny imp-like thing. So he can't have a hearty, gravelly thing. It's got to be higher and more spastic.
1: Right. But yeah, great descriptions of uh, the name Rouge. Like I say, even though I had heard several descriptions before, I really enjoyed your descriptions. Your new book, you also talked about Haunted Roads, and then we've talked about Haunted Roads on the show because we've, we've had our friend...
0: Ben Goldman of Afterlife Road.
1: Ben Goldman. That might be one of our friends you're not that familiar with, but he's all about the Haunted Roads. And you wrote about Denton Road, which... Brandon and I just lectured in libraries, all the KDLs, and Denton Road is one of them that we talked about. But you made a correlation that I had never thought about before. Now we get back to the UFOs.
2: Mhm. Um, that was because okay, so Denton Road for people that don't know, it's in Canton, Michigan, and a story. There used to be an old bridge that was graffitied. You know, it had that spooky look to it. And legends started forming around it where people claim that they saw this blue apparition of a woman. Of course, a story got applied to it that a woman was running away from her husband who ended up murdering her, and, and she had she had to try to escape with her child. So the blue light that people see, they say sometimes the woman's ghost just fleeing the husband. Sometimes they I've heard versions where it's the lantern that she's using to look for her child. Um, And I'm sure there's myriad amounts of other versions that people tell. And so when you do the research and look into why people were seeing this, sure, maybe someone was truly seeing something paranormal and an anomalous. Uh, We know that there is weird energy that people see in the form of an orb and and blue lights and different things like that. But then there was also Eastern Michigan University. And you had these uh, students that were dropping their pledges off in the fields along Canton Road, giving them a lantern and saying, hey, find your way back to school and you'll you'll get into the fraternity. And so often people would be driving along Denton Road in like the late 50s, early 60s, and they would see this light coming through the cornfields and then stories can start. Oh my gosh, I was driving and saw this ghost. I saw something glowing in the, in the fields. And then you get, um, there was another story where a woman admitted that her son would drive around in his car with a lantern on a stick and kind of make it look like something was zipping up and down the roads. But then you have people that have legitimately had experiences where they claim that lights came out of nowhere, hovered over their car, and caused their car to stop, which if you researched UFO lore, that's one of the most common things people experience while in their car. Also, sometimes that sudden loss of time where your car starts back up, but it's an hour later. Uh, And then you have in that area the swamp gas case that happened um, back in uh, 1966, which is one of the biggest mass sightings early on. Um, Like you said, Wayne, earlier that Michigan has a lot of important UFO cases, and that's a big one because the government got involved and that's where the term swamp gas comes from because J. Allen Hynek, uh, who was operating Project Blue Book at the time, uh, gave an answer to satisfy the government and the people, which the people were really offended by the term, oh yeah, you just saw swamp gas because these people know what they saw. So I do feel like there could be something in that area that you have a little like multitude of things going on. You have like people just pranking their pledges and <laughs> making them do stuff, and then you, who knows? There could be some kind of strange light phenomena out there that also triggers these stories. But then when you get the stuff coming from above, you kind of have a little trifecta there of paranormal activity.
1: Yeah, I love I love the how you made the connection there. And then that was it was Ford before Ford became president. He was back there and he said, yep. "Hey, we got to look into this more closely. We got to set up agencies to look into this. This wasn't swamp gas because this was reported by police and all sorts of legitimate people saw this." Yep. So, but I like how you made that connection and I like how you include the hoaxes. And there's more in this book than just paranormal stuff. There's a lot of history in this book, too. And Brandon likes that part of it, because that's what he's really into himself. He's
0: got a Well, like history and the paranormal. But really, to get a lot of times to know what you're dealing with, with the paranormal, you got to kind of know the history, too. <laughs> so, of like an area like a case and stuff like that, as well.
1: Yeah, he was doing YouTube. Uh, he, he had something on YouTube, History Channel.
0: I'm going to be creating a new podcast, uh, Creators of History. I haven't started that yet, though.
1: There's so much history in the paranormal. You know that all the research that you've done through the years. You know all all that history that goes with it. But that made it more interesting to me rather than just all the paranormal stories, which I've heard most of them, not all of them that you included, though. You also talked about witchcraft. In this book here, it was it was kind of a scary story about a family, where they thought maybe it was witchcraft, or that's what was suspected. Now, is that something that you researched? When I first started, I hadn't prepared myself for witchcraft. I made a folder of all different things I thought I should know to become a ghost hunter, but it wasn't witchcraft wasn't on the list. Is that something you prepared yourself for?
2: Uh, what I was looking for when I put that chapter in my book was uh, this kind of old-timey, superstitious belief that a lot of people uh, brought over from Europe uh, with them, and I would find when I was as I was doing research, I would find these stories that were linked to allegedly uh, witches, or uh, someone dies because of witchcraft or something, and. I started searching for specific stories on that and ended up with a little collection of stuff. One that involved a murder. Um, a guy felt that he and his family were bewitched by his godmother. Uh, this took place in Trenton, Michigan, and he ends up uh, going and killing his godmother and has no remorse about it whatsoever. And Point Lake tells the police the next day what he did. And when they ask him why, he's like, "Because she was a witch. I had to kill her. Yeah. Like, witch my family. I mean, like he. There was you." couldn't argue with him, he just truly believed that was why everything in his life was going downhill. Um, There was another family in Mount Morris, Michigan, which is uh, near Flint, and they were completely just obsessed with the idea that they were also bewitched to the point where they were shooting silver bullets in the air, trying to keep witchcraft away. Uh, They were, when they ran out of the silver bullets, they were just taking silver from their house and jamming it in guns. Uh, they were doing weird stuff, like cutting the ends of their fingertips off to, to bleed the evil out of them, uh, which they were even cutting the tips of their animals' ears off. And all of these superstitions come from, like I said earlier, like a lot of this stuff came from Europe. Um, I don't want to say like lack of intelligence like brings about this. It's just what they knew, what they believed. And I just found it interesting how much of that stuff still kind of was part of our world then even after something like the Salem witchcraft trials which you know people know was like a horrible horrible thing um it just it just still existed so i i was able to find a little home in this book for those kind of weird stories that just don't fit neatly into things because they're they're not like you know it didn't involve ghosts was right. i don't consider that something paranormal to me it was just i think his, historically interesting
1: yeah and another thing they were doing was fires They had all the fires going around their yard and in their house. It was like summertime. It was hotter than heck, but they had all the windows covered and this fire going. Yeah, all kinds of uh, superstitions that they believed. Yeah, great story, though. Um, Did you ever run into anything when you're out investigating that you thought might be witchy?
2: Think so. I know some people have ran into some things, um, and, that, and that it wasn't anything negative. You know, someone might leave an offering or something that definitely seems more uh, pagan, Wiccan oriented, like at a grave, you know, site or something. But I've like, if you if you mean like in a negative connotation, um, I've I've never encountered anything like negative involving witchcraft in any of my investigations. Okay,
1: I think Brandon's been out to Hell's Bridge, and maybe that looked like there were some signs that. They were out there maybe worshiping
0: i don't know about that there was a lot of graffiti and stuff i'd say mouth cemetery you know like investigating there there were definitely people like in the cemetery at the time we were in there that looked like they were doing like a ritual but
1: oh well now brandon's moved on to cemeteries because you do talk about cemeteries
0: not that is in the book in this book but also cemetery story
1: in uh this book here ghosts and legends of michigan's west coast And you're kind of like uh, we, our friend from Lakeshore Paranormal, Darren Dykehouse. He's the Lord of the Cemeteries, but I think you are the female version of that because now Nunica you've made famous, I think, but Moth you also talked about, and you talked about the Lake Forest cemeteries. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about cemeteries?
2: I. I I love cemeteries. I I I feel like they're outdoor museums. Oh, wow. uh, it's just it's just a wonderful place to like go explore. I love the architecture. I love the stonework. Uh I love I love just sometimes grabbing a name from a tombstone and just being like, I'm just gonna go do ancestry on this person and see what I can find out. I, I absolutely love them. I've loved them since I was a kid. But when I got into ghost hunting, naturally you think. Oh, where do I find ghosts? Oh, a cemetery. So, like, your first places that you stomp around tend to be like graveyards. And so, in growing up in West Michigan in the Grand Haven area, naturally we would uh, hang out in Lake Forest Cemetery, which is in Grand Haven, and Nunica, which is just nearby, you know, in Nunica on the highway there. And Nunica, when I was introduced to that cemetery, I definitely had some weird things happen there. I, I had a temperature drop that I can't explain because it was a warm summer night, like, and then suddenly down by my hand, it gets down to 20 degrees. Now, I that's weird, like, it's 70 some degrees outside, but like by my hand, we're looking at a 20 degree reading. Like, how does that happen? So, I've never really seen a temperature reading go that low before, but there was a story about a little girl. That was said to or well i shouldn't say little girl but like like ghost child maybe you know who knows if it was a little girl or boy but would kind of grasp your hand and follow you around the cemetery for a bit and it just certainly felt like that it just felt like something had grabbed my hand and i i'll never forget that feeling um and then there's the cute things in that cemetery like the grave of mr bond who was a civil war soldier and he's known to like touch women's butts oh, and no. sort of get a little like fresh which right. I love I think that's so cute
1: <laughs> we've seen um, that at places
2: yeah I you know those those uh kind of stinker spirits I guess I don't know uh but Nunica has always been a really popular cemetery it has a vibe for sure um it's I I don't know there's a lot of interesting there's some murder like we were just. I'm. Just, does anyone? Okay. I hope you guys can't hear my pet, who is incessantly whining at our door. No, I don't hear him. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. But uh, it's it's got. new has a cemetery has an interesting history. You have a lot of uh, people buried there from the influenza outbreak um, in the early 20th century. A lot of children are buried there from the influenza outbreak. Uh, but we do cemetery tours through Laudit District Library in Grand Haven, and they're called Wicked Tours. We don't do ghost tours, but it all uh, circumvents around true crime. Sometimes it doesn't have to be a murder. It could just be someone being a stinker. And we, my co-person on that tour, we, we were thinking about doing Nunica, but we know we'd have to do registration because it's so small and we could only take like 20 people with us. But she did finally put out a Wicked Nunica presentation that she just gave this uh, year. And like a, almost 100 people showed up at the Nunica Town Hall. And it was all just to hear the cool true crime stories about some of the people buried there. So hopefully we'll be able to kind of bring that more to the public um, if you enjoy true crime. Um, and then I'm sh- I'm certain like some more ghost stories will come out of that. Like someone will be like, oh, I bet that murder victim, I bet you that's the, that's this ghost or something. I like people love to make their connections, so.
1: Yeah, the the tours, I, that was on my list to talk about. So did you charge for tours? How, how nope. does that work?
2: Nope, nope, um, we do, we've done those for years now through Lauda District Library. Uh, we will do them in person, typically we'll do Lake Forest Cemetery, uh, Robinson Township we've done, uh, what's the uh, Grand Haven Township's the other one, and people just show up, and we take you around the cemetery, and we tell you true crime stuff. We've had some people leave every once in a while. Like one couple will walk off because we we kind of specify this isn't a ghost tour. And then like two people just wander off. Like you guys are going to hear about bloody murders and weird stuff. Like what? Why are you walking away?
1: Yeah. But
2: it's it's been fun. So no, those are just strictly through the library. Uh, it's just a local history program. Is that's what we consider it. And then during COVID. We ended up recording, Jeanette and I ended up recording ourselves telling the stories. And so now they do a walking, self-guided walking tour that they put out there um, every year. And even if we can't, can or cannot do a physical tour and you can just stop at various tombstones throughout Lake Forest Cemetery and scan that QR code and myself or Jeanette will pop up and tell you a story about the person buried underneath.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah, I'd like to experience that, no doubt. Well, talking about murderers in your book, um, haunted uh, what the Grand Rapids one? What was the title on that one? Uh,
2: Wicked Grand Rapids.
1: Wicked Grand Rapids. You talk about the Lonely Hearts Killer, and that's they did a thing here at WKTV, a play or something along that line. And this house. I think
0: is, they did a movie. I think they did a movie on it.
1: Yeah, and the house is just down the street from where we're at right now. I mean, I actually found the address by reading old newspaper clippings about when the murder trial was happening and I asked the people if they needed the house to be cleansed that I would I would do that for them, but apparently there's no uh, unrest there at the house, but can you talk about the Lonely Hearts killers a little bit?
2: You know, is that the one about um, Scott, the the guy that was doing the mail order murder stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, You know, I'm gonna actually just point you guys because I have not read that story in so long. Oh yeah. I have the book in front of me.
1: See, I don't and have that book. I borrowed it from I, the library.
2: I don't, Um, I cannot, right off the top of my head. I just, I know the guy, he was an older guy. And he was going under a lot of different aliases, and he was basically putting advert advertisements in local newspapers, trying to get women to respond, uh, marry them, take their money, and leave them for dead. Right. So, what are these situations? And he finally got caught. Um, I, like I said, I don't remember every single detail right off the top of my head. But um, he was—he was not a cool dude.
1: He was not cool. <laughs> no, that—that that was close to us too, really. I mean, really close. But let's. So, what cemeteries have you been to, or do you think Nutica is the most haunted? I know it's got a reputation for one of the most, but is it the most haunted cemetery?
2: I think as I've gotten. As I've done this, I've been doing this now for the 23 years. I've come to the belief that cemeteries aren't as haunted as we think. Uh, I or haunted just just filled with dead spirits, just because that's where we bury our dead. I feel like it's sometimes it's uh it's more haunted by our own emotions. Uh, cemeteries have, I think. Let me back it up. I, I've started to feel that hauntings have more to do with the living than the dead, that people can sometimes walk into a situation, a room, a house, and they can, for whatever reason, perceive the past in some way. I always joke sometimes, you know, their tinfoil hats on just right. But they people are more attuned to picking this kind of stuff up. And it, it might not necessarily be this traditional spirit essence floating about. You're actually picking up on something more residual, in the environment getting an impression and over the years and centuries this is what we've kind of come to call a haunting and so i think when you go into a cemetery you have a lot of people with their grief they're all of the emotions that go with losing a loved one that just settles into that area and i still do believe potentially that our our consciousness our essence can somehow live on beyond us uh but i've feel like in the sense of like a cemetery, it's that we're haunting the cemetery more than the dead as we traditionally believe it to be haunted.
1: Very interesting, yeah, a lot of high emotional residual energy without a doubt at a location like that. I used to tell people, if you wanna see a ghost, don't go to a cemetery, go to a museum. But my Mm. opinions change a little bit. Things could happen at cemeteries like uh, Lake Forest, where they moved everyone, they moved the cemetery. So things happen, not everybody gets moved. People get put in the wrong graves at cemeteries, more than one person, mass graves at cemeteries. Yeah, there can be stuff that can happen. Have you ever been to Bath?
2: No, no, where where the murder, where the big, the school bombing Right. You talking about that one, nope, I've never been there. Yeah,
1: I wanna go over to that cemetery. I actually haven't made it to Nunica yet, but just that the difference, did you measure that difference in that coldness with a, some kind of instrument?
2: Yeah, it was a uh, non-contact infrared thermometer. Okay. Um and I wish I wish someone had gotten a picture of it back then, but I you know, you know how it is when those moments happen, no one's thinking like, "Oh, let's properly document this now." Like get yeah. the cameras out, take do this, whatever. You're just so stunned. And then the moment's over, just like that. Right. And you're like, well, now it's just an experience. And, and and I often tell people like my experiences, I can still count on like both hands. I, I don't have a lot of stuff. I, I don't feel like major experiences that you don't... It, this stuff is more rare than people think, I guess. Because if you if you're a fan of like a lot of paranormal TV shows and stuff over the decades, They'll make you think sometimes this stuff is around every corner, but any person that's been doing this stuff for any length of time knows how long you sometimes just sit in the dark, uh, waiting and and wondering if anything's going to uh, happen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, very tedious. And then you get home and have to go over that evidence all over again, right? It's not like it is on TV or the movies where stuff's happening every five minutes or a couple minutes,
0: not at all. Yeah, the review process is the most boring part because it's like, (laughs) You got all that. Now you got uh, all these recordings. So you're going over it over and over and over again. If you had nothing happening, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of time commitment.
1: Yeah, it is a lot of time. It is a real commitment. You also talk about lighthouses in some of your other books uh, also. And you talk about Grand Traverse as one of the most haunted lighthouses. And then you talk about how I, there's museums a lot of times that are connected to these lighthouses, so there there now you've got a museum with all the relics and artifacts. So you have you been to Grand Traverse Lighthouse then? Nope. Okay.
2: I don't think I stopped by that one. I ended up talking at the time to the person that was kind of the caretaker of that one. Uh, the one that I visited and I've done some investigations w- um, at is the White River Lighthouse, which is on the cover of that book. and. That one is really cool because I joke in all of my presentations that people always associate that ghosts are negative and bad. You don't want them in your house. But the lady that was living at the White River Lighthouse for a while said, uh, to she told Muskegon Chronicle this, that she was cleaning one of the display cases when the phone rang. So she went to go answer the phone and she put down her cleaning supplies. And when she came back, her case had been cleaned. So i joke with everyone i'm like you want cleaning ghosts in your <laughs> yeah, house
1: no doubt it's, it's i need it. some of those <laughs> Right? So
2: it doesn't always have to be a negative thing going on and she always felt like this whatever was there was really positive uh, whether it, if it was the light keeper who never wanted to leave the lighthouse in the first place so he ended up dying there that's one way to stay i guess um it's just she always felt like there was nothing negative about it and uh, a few years ago i did an investigation there with um Exie Smith, who's a well-known psychic around Michigan. We know Exie. And um, we we did something for WZZM. And I don't I don't want to say we had anything too crazy happen. Exie got an interesting EVP. And it's like when she's introducing herself to the Lighthouse people, and you hear it, like a voice say something about, like, I'm here or something. I forget exactly what it said, but it was very clear. The only thing that was a bummer about that investigation is it's a lighthouse, there's no air conditioning. And it was a super hot, muggy Michigan summer like evening and stupid me had on like jeans and I was just dying. (laughs) So it was kind of hard to like focus, but we were trying to do various things. Like, I don't know if you've ever experimented with the Estes method of trying to like hear things um, through like basically that mod of, you know, Frank's box, I guess, essentially. Yes. Um, no, it was fun. It was like, it was a cool experience because lighthouses are so quintessential in Michigan. I, I, there was a lighthouse in Silver Lake and I know it's one of the tallest on our lakes and it was never open to the public. And one day when it was open, I happened to be at Silver Lake and was went to the top and there was a docent up there and I was like, Oh, what's the story? What's the ghost story about this light? And she's like, no, no ghost story, none here. And I'm like, wow, that's like the only lighthouse that doesn't have one. Exactly. Because every single one seems to have a story connected to it. Uh, it's just, it's that's I think one of our cooler parts of our uh, maybe Great Lakes uh, ghost lore is our lighthouses and our ghost ships.
1: Yeah, right, ghost ships too. We have like 129 lighthouses, and out of that, 30 of them are rumored to be haunted. So one fifth of them are haunted. Yeah rumored to be haunted and I think it's might be a lot of this residual energy from this lighthouse keeper doing his job day after day and after he's dead he's still doing his job day after day but there are reports of intelligent responses too like you talked about with Exie Suzanne Smith she sees ghosts everywhere she goes Yeah. so I'd like to hang out with her without a doubt. Another thing uh, in this your in your book, you talk about Marion Spore Bush mm-hmm. that yeah. you wanna hang out with Marion Spore Bush yes. and then, so I have I did a couple uh things in the background here that are like world of Flame, my versions of World of Flame see oh, I love it. that's what that is back there and you talk about world of Flame. you also talk about uh well i've heard it entitled new york Win, but the title really is just when yeah Let, you want to talk about that painting and or how marion works yeah yeah marion
2: is absolutely one of my favorite people um ever uh, i have been researching her for since 2012 and uh, she was another person i didn't know where i was going to insert her story into what i was doing and and I'm not done researching her, and I'm I'm gonna do uh, hopefully some bigger stuff with her, but um, she, I I was looking up people that felt their art was directed by Spirit, and I happened to find her, and she was Bay City's first female dentist, and she opened up a practice around 19, oh my gosh, 1900, and she was really super successful, really good at what she did, and she had this practice for like almost 20 years, and then her mother died. And her world came crashing down. And at this time in 1920, when, when her mom died, it was 1919. And Ouija boards were really, really popular at this time, especially because of, we got World War I, which had just ended. Anytime you have like this huge amount of life lost, interest in the paranormal always goes up. And so Ouija boards were a popular tool that people were using, hoping to connect with loved ones again. And they didn't quite have the stigma that they have now, thanks to like movies like The Exorcist and like Hollywood. Um, they were kind of a little, they weren't as like, oh my God, like, of course, some people thought they were still bad, but whatever. And so someone suggested to her, hey, why don't you try to communicate with your mother through Ouija board? And she was like, well, okay. And she picks one up and she looks at the instructions and the instructions say, you need two people and this is is the game. And she was like, oh, come on. Like, I can't contact my mother this way. Like, this is an insult to her memory. And so she moves on, she puts the board, just, you know, stuffs it in a drawer and then something happens. Some friends of hers had been yachting up in Lake Huron and they had a Ouija board with them and they were using it. And every night they were getting the same communications from this spirit who kept saying kind of variations of a theme on his name, and he ends up saying, hey, I, I'm here one day, I was here the next, um, I'm from Bay City, can you help me? And so they end up docking to try and figure out, like, okay, what's what's going on? Because his name, they kept saying, like, Harrison Valer, Harry Malie, like, different variations of that kind of name. So they get to, they get over to Sault Ste. Marie, they dock, and they send a... a Oh, God, what did they do that? I'm blanking on the word. They telegram or something, telegraph over to the Bay City Times. And they're like, hey, did anyone recently die kind of with a name that sounds like this? And they're like, yeah, Harrison Moller. He was 73 years old and he got hit by a car. And then the weird thing is, is that Marion happened to be behind the car that hit this man. So she saw it happen and she was like, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm, okay, we're getting, we're busting off the board again. So she brings the board back out. And then she felt that she eventually communicated with her mother and she continued to use the board to the point where she could use it by herself, by
1: herself. And,
2: by herself, And then they appeared and she always used the term they with a capital T for the rest of her life. And they were a, initially she felt, and I, I think she believed this also for the rest of her life, that it was a group of collective group of dead artists basically people that were artists when they were living on the planet and now were working as this kind of unit through marion so she could now do art and so also her mother she feels it was because marion was so so depressed about the death of her mother that she felt like it was her mother's way of saying okay we got to change something here like i'm going to bring something new into your life and this is what it's going to be so she started hearing these voices and not in like a crazy way but she just she it was like kind of an inner knowing um, to just start drawing to, to get this color paint to do this and so a lot of her early work she ended up closing her practice moved to new york city to the uh greenwich village area which was kind of like little bohemia art district And around 1922, she ends up getting the attention of the press as like this psychic painter, um, the girl who lets ghosts guide her hand. Um, And she makes a splash with her art because it's so wild and unusual. All of her early stuff is very whimsical. She would put the paint on so thick that it was almost like sculpture on canvas. And then on top of it, Um, She's telling people like, yeah, this isn't coming from me. Like it's just coming from they. I love the Bay City Times wrote that uh, in one of their titles for their articles, um, Ouija gives Dr. Flora, which was her first name um, by birth, correspondence course in art. I love that. So anyway, as time goes on, she also was continually making predictions about a potential upcoming World War II, which obviously happened. But her paintings just before World War II started getting very bleak. They went from being very vivid and colorful and whimsical to like like, like how you did your your picture, Wayne, of World of Flame. Uh, But they ended up being very stark. Uh, We're looking at black and white oils and grays and beiges. And she did this particular picture of that she just said it was sometime in the future, New York City, and she just called it when. And she painted this around 1943 and when you see the picture, the painting, you just see this explosion in the middle of the city and two planes coming in. So when I show people this painting at a lot of my lectures, that's when I get my collective gasp as they potentially see Marion predicting uh, 9-11.
1: Oh, you have so, the picture? Or you have a copy if, of the picture?
2: If you go if you go to, so I began a website devoted to her called marionspore.com. And if anyone goes to that, all they have to do is just type in when or search through her paintings. I'm trying to document as many of her paintings as I can. Uh, Her family still has a lot of them, I believe, in storage. Um, I'm hoping at some point it'd be great to connect with family. She never had any kids, but she left everything to a niece. And, uh, but yeah, so if you go to that website, you can find that picture.
1: Yeah, I've seen the picture with the two planes, the skyscrapers and the smoke. Yeah, I mean that. Yep. Of course, we know now that that was September eleventh, yep. two thousand one. You know, yeah. I mean, she was definitely foretelling the future. Oh yeah. So yeah, I, she... I, that's why I took World of Flame and tried to figure out something other than a more creative way, other than just the world burning. Although seems like this year there was fires everywhere. The world was on fire, but right. I mean, COVID seemed to affect the whole world. So I went with that for my interpretation of it, but I would like to hang out with Marion sporbush Sporebush too. Without I, I a doubt. Would, I,
2: I'm lucky that I found four of her paintings on eBay back in like 2013. Someone was just selling four smaller ones because her stuff was usually done on like a mass scale, like three by five feet and these were smaller, and so I do at least, and then I keep them in my bedroom, so it's like, you know, I got, I feel like I got a little piece of her like with me at least, which is really great.
1: Yeah, I, I really would. I mean, she was skeptical of what was going on at the time with a lot of these um, psychics and that were, were fakes, oh, yeah. and they were caught as being fakes, yep. you know, fake seances and stuff. Have you ever messed with a Ouija board?
2: I love Ouija boards. Oh, do I you? Love, I love adore them. I collect them. Oh. I have a ton of them. my oldest ones from like nineteen thirteen. I I'm a Ouija board nut. Like anything that has that that, that awesome like nineteen sixties classic board image on it. Um, like I, I absolutely love it. So I, there's been times where we've had family over at our house for like Thanksgiving oh, yeah. and I had
1: to <laughs> put my boards away cause people are scared. Oh, I thought you got and, them like, out.
2: <laughs> like seriously guys, like it's just a piece of wood. Oh wow. But I've, I've never used a board in like any for any length of time where I felt like I had some kind of communication because I don't trust myself it's that idiomotor response that your hands might be just moving it a little bit sure um, and it's on felt you know it moves across that board quite easily so I've I've never put a lot of stock into it even though I do believe that you you could use it such as what Marion did um, for a source of communication
1: but you don't use it by yourself like Marion did right
2: no, I've never, I've never done that. And yeah. it's, I, w- I wouldn't have any like reserves doing it. I just, I don't think I have the patience and I would doubt everything that happened.
1: Do you That's think, I just doubt it? do you think it works?
2: I think it could. I think people like there's a woman out there, Karen Dolman, who uses the Ouija board, um, to get messages all the time. If you, if you look her up, she's kind of like the Ouija queen out there. Very, very, very cool person. Um, And obviously with Marion's story, I mean, she felt that things that came through the board were only things that her and her mother knew. And she did say that negative things came through, not not in some kind of demonic, weird way. It was more of like your classic trickster ghost that was coming through and messing with her a little bit. And she learned to kind of sense that what the vibe was when those entities came in. And she would kind of go, nope, not today. And she, you know, just step back. And she learned how to kind of block that stuff out. And after that, that's when she really felt she was able to have a clear um, communication line uh, with her people that you know she called they.
1: Yeah, I like her approach because she said that they told her, don't ask us questions. We don't wanna answer your trivial questions. We'll tell you what we want you to know. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. that's the kind of approach that I took ghost hunting. I thought like too many questions might not be good. Just let the ghost tell you what they want you to know. Right, yep. That, that's yep. hard to do though, to be that patient and that quiet. Brandon, that's why I like ghost hunting with Brandon because he's he doesn't really step on too many toes. You get people asking questions, they're layering their questions on top of each other, not giving the ghost time to respond, right? But I do like Marion's approach. Now another woman, as long as we're talking about women, Mina Decker, the Mina Decker story, because this was the first, the first investigation I ever set up with my first team with Taunting Whispers, and we had uh, WZZM uh, coming uh, there filming us, but I know you've got great respect for Mina Decker and the Mina Decker story yeah
2: that was when when i put that story in my wicked grand rapids book because those are that that's just a strictly a true crime one um she is uh from what i understand she probably still is grand rapids oldest cold case right. it's never solved it probably by this point all the, the main players have passed away and it, it it probably won't get solved but who knows i mean a lot of these old Crimes from around the world, sometimes we get shocked by DNA suddenly shows up from something and makes a connection. So Mina, when she was or Mina, I've heard both terms, Mina, Mina. Right. I um, heard Mina. Um, I think I want to say I it was Mina, like coming directly from her family. Um, so I always say Mina, but she was 19 years old and she was just working and 1938. And she ends up being found sometime after lunch, just with her skull bashed in, She's barely alive. There's a hammer there. And for the longest time, they blamed this guy, Kelvin DeBlay. And I know one of the main guys that kept this was always uh, on the police force and always looked at this case constantly would bring the files home and um, check things out and just think about it. I think really Kelvin for the longest time, like a lot of people believe he did it, but there was just, there was just, it was just circumstantial evidence. There was you couldn't link anything. It's so frustrating being back in the day, you know. Where like now, huh, it'd be so easy to like put someone away.
1: All right, DNA. They had some kind of murder. truth truth serum that they that they were oh, giving yeah. them back yep. then. So the location is 64 Ionia, downtown Grand Rapids. It was the third floor of that building. But when I was in that building, Ritz Coney was at the bottom, and they had seen full-form apparitions in the basement and we actually did get to go up on the third floor uh, after that and I actually had the story I had a hammer in my hand to tell them the story but we were there originally on the anniversary and it was my first case I ever set up I had lofty goals I thought we were gonna uncover evidence to Mm. solve this unsolved mystery this murder mystery but a little little did I know, but uh, <laughs> there was I was there. I spent a lot of time there. I even spent time there in that basement basically by myself while business was going on upstairs. I know they say don't hunt alone. I wasn't necessarily alone, but I really wanted to try to get some evidence to try to solve that case, but I had a lot to learn. That was my first case. I had so much to learn.
2: And and that was, when I put that story in my, that book, I was, I got permission uh, from her brother who was very old at the time, but like someone I knew, knew him and I asked if it was okay if I published her senior picture in the book. And they kind of, they knew, the, my in-between guy, I'm blanking on his name right now, but. He he knew what I did. He knew I was into ghost stories and had written about this. And he's like, "Well, he's like, um, you know, you're not writing about her ghost, are you?" And I was like, "No, I'm like, I'm just writing about the murder case, and that's it. Like, I'm not mentioning a ghost in this book. Nothing. It's it's not about that." And and then her brother was like, "Okay." So they get very bothered. Her family get bothered by the fact that people hunt her ghost, and and that's and you do you do find that like when we were when we do our Wicked Cemetery tours, we keep our tours, basically our cutoff is kind of like, we do this 1930, early 30s uh, bank robbery case that had happened with uh, Babyface Nelson in Grand Haven. I love it. Kind of keep our stuff going back to like the 1800s because the connections are gone. There might be some distant family, but there's not someone like getting all mad uh, because we're talking about their family that something happened only 20, 30 years ago. And so in Mina's case, this was also a situation where it's like her brother was still alive and they were hurt when they heard people were hunting for her ghost. I mean, I can only imagine um, if as a family member thinking like, wow, like what if her ghost was sitting there? Like how sad that is to think. And then they just think that she's sort of a novelty now and she's a she's a form of entertainment for some. Yeah. So um, I was like, yep, nope. There's nothing about ghosts in that story at all. But I just feel it's. A way to preserve her memory, um, also, and just it's it's you don't want to forget these people when they when they died in such an unfortunate way.
1: Yeah, I like your approach to that, right? And then that whole area, it's like all those buildings downtown are all connected. So uh, right next door was McFadden's with the gargoyles up on the top on the roof, and they had rumors of ghosts. The rumor was that there was a ghost of a female, but. The full-form apparition that the guy from Ritz Coney saw was a male in in just in white clothing he thought it was a homeless person that was down in his basement he went to grab his phone to call the police looked up ah yeah. gone disappeared so that's why I spent a lot of time there that I was I can say I was young that was my first case but I do like the respect that you showed now I like to ask people about confirmation and they find confirmation different ways through family, through friends, through certain synchronicities, certain significant coincidences. Have you ran into any of that stuff that said, Amber Rose is on the right path, she's doing the right thing, the pieces are falling in place. Was there ever a time in your career that, that said, yep, I'm supposed to be doing this?
2: Yeah, twice, actually kind of, I'd say this year and also going back to 2005. So uh, in 2005, I uh, met my now husband, Scott Lambert, and he was, you know, on Ghostly Talk. That's how I learned about him. I listened to him every week when they put out their show. And then we invited them over. We were having a paranormal picnic, (laughs) real cute. But we invited these people out to talk, kind of like a mini outdoor conference and we invited ghostly talk to come out to grand haven from detroit and so they came out and we ended up hanging out all night and having fun and um, scott and i just seemed to really like click and so i was really kind of like oh no what do i do with this person like they live three hours away from me and i do not really like driving and um hmm. so i love i love uh heavy metal i love old metal from the 80s and none of my friends like i Growing up all my friends liked metal and stuff and listened to it but they would listen to like all new stuff and i really loved i grew up with family uh, my dad and mom that loved listening to the old 80s metal and so there was this woman uh Doro pesch who had a band called warlock she was from germany and one of the early female fronted uh metal bands and so that night i was sitting at work and i was like okay um so if this guy if this you know if scott who I knew love metal like if he knows the band warlock That's my sign that I need to just go with, you know, just go. Well, then that night we would we would chat. I'm like back then it was like Yahoo chat, and we were talking, and then all of a sudden he just says, "Dude, I'm listening to Warlock right now," and I'm like, "Uh oh, what?" I remember my hand on my mouse was just shaking because I was like, "That can't be like that can't that can't be a coincidence." There's no way. Um, so that was really weird. And so 20 some years later, we're still together and well, will 18 years, almost 20, but, and then this year it was, I had a weird thing happen. I had this woman and this isn't really that big, but just looking at synchronicities, we're telling you you're on the right path. I had, uh, this woman at the Michigan Paracon come up to me after my talk. And she just looked at me and very, very bluntly just said, keep doing what you're doing, All right. you need to keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, okay. Like, she's just like, just, I just had to stop by and tell you that. And I'm like, okay, well then at UFO con, I gave my talk and we were at like the mixer in the bar on Friday night. And this woman just comes up to me and goes, um, I have, they're telling me to tell you this, you need to keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, what, what, what is happening here? Same message. Like Like, why it's the same exact and the same urgency. And so I, I talk to her or something and and for a bit, but uh, yeah, it was really weird. So that was kind of an interesting thing because I always sometimes go, oh, should I just throw in the towel and quit all this and just, you know, I don't know, (laughs) do something different. But then I hear messages like that and I'm like, okay, all right, I'm on the right path, I'm gonna keep doing it. So yeah, those are two of my kind of big bookend pieces right now, I guess, for on the right path.
1: Nice. Yeah, I saw Scott uh, Lambert and your acknowledgements. So I was gonna yeah. ask you about that, but uh, you answered that question. You know, for final thought, and we gotta go hurry. Do you think death is the end, Brandon?
0: No, I think it's just a different chapter. <laughs> it's the best way I would put it. <laughs> okay, is death the end?
2: I'd like to hope it's not. I don't. I, I'm a little unsure. Sometimes my my logical brain says when when I when my heart stops, my brain's just gonna turn off, and that's that. But um, with everything I've researched and studied and for how many thousands of years us as a human race have has been studying this and we have religions around it and everything. I think I'd I'd like to think our consciousness carries on somehow.
1: Yeah, I think free will. I think we're given free will and it's it's what we do with that free will. That's why some people decide even though their body is Stopped working their free will is still going and then so it's making them a ghost because they can So they're practicing free will and I think time and space are different on the other side So I have the inspirational thought and then that shows over and it comes from Irving T. Bush Which is the husband of Marion yeah. Spore Bush and he he says but this I know Beyond this strife, there is no pain. Somewhere the flowers bloom again. Death is not death, it's life. So I think it is definitely the next chapter. I don't know exactly what happens, but there is another step beyond this point. And we know we've ran into voices that are on that other side, or at least partway there. So... Amber Rose Hammond, you are a legend. You are the, one of the best orators I've ever met anywhere. <laughs> so I appreciate talking with you. Brandon, always a pleasure yep. talking with you. Take care, I hope to run into you at one of your for, paracons for sure. or library presentations sometime.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: Okay, take care. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> Peace out.
2: Thank you, Wayne. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Family-owned Faro's Pizza underwrites this episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Podcast. Newly opened at 901 Gazan Parkway, Southwest Wyoming, and available at 616-483-0002. The opinions expressed in the preceding program are those of the producer and not necessarily
0: those of WKTV community media.